0: Hello and welcome to Plottrist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing
1: The Duchess Wager by Catherine Grant.
0: So this is a recent release. It actually
1: came out uh, just last week. Uh, so this is number two in The Countess Chronicles. We did not review the first one, though I think both of us are going to go back and reread it because we did enjoy the second.
0: Mhm. Uh, and then uh, for, for full disclosure, because you know we always disclose everything on this podcast.
1: Sometimes <laughs> one of my friends texted me after one of our episodes and was like, yeah, Lane, it was not a busy street. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe I disclosed too much on the podcast. Right. Oh, so anyway,
0: full disclosure, we did receive a free advanced reader copy of the book. It was kindly provided by the author, Katherine Grant. I will say that Catherine, like, 100% found the right strategy to get us to review her book, <laughs> which was to um, talk up the sex in the book and give us free tea. Um, so if you're listening and you and you would like us to review your book.
1: Propose, um, describe the sex scenes. And if you want to throw in character inspired tea, I will happily drink it because I am a tea fiend.
0: Uh, and then Lane showed me the tea, too. It's like the cutest thing. We're going to put a picture on Instagram if you want to see it.
1: And I'm actually drinking it right now so we can be authentic <laughs> about the experience. It smells, I don't know, it's supposed to be Margot's blend. All right, All right let's get into the jacket. The Duke
0: accepts a wager. Fitz, the Duke of Herodshire, views marriage as a business arrangement, not a question of the heart especially once he bets his friends that he won't marry the next woman he fancies. He knows it'll be an easy win until they take refuge from a snowstorm at Blenacle Manor and he meets Lady Margot Wickham.
1: A widow in mourning. At her parents' home in Northern England to recover from her husband's sudden death, Lady Margot Wickham isn't sure she'll ever be ready to face the duties of being a dowager countess. When unexpected travelers show up in a snowstorm, Margot is grateful for the distraction. Until she realizes she might be too distracted by a certain Duke.
0: Duty calls. When Margot gets notice of unrest at her husband's cotton mill, she realizes she can put off duty no longer. Alarmed, Fitz volunteers to accompany her south. He plans to help her resolve the issue, but the road trip is a convenient excuse to stay close, too.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean it's, it's very cute. I would say overall that's a pretty accurate jacket. I agree. And it gets at sort of what brings them together. Yeah. I like it. That's a good jacket. Like it sets up all the conflicts without getting spoilery with and without getting into like extraneous details. I think, for example, a worse version of this jacket specifically mentions the Luddites.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: And the good version of this jacket, which this is, only mentions the mill. Yes. Like you don't need to go into the details that actually affect the text in the jacket. You just need to give the spirit.
0: Yeah. Uh, And then there's also like a whole different part of the plot that happens um, at Blinical Manor when they're there, mm. that, that sets up how they meet. That's not mentioned at all. But I don't think that that that, that the jacket suffers from, from that at all.
1: It would have taken up too much of the jacket for something that's ultimately not that relevant.
0: Yes. And if you had had it there, you wouldn't have been able to mention the unrest at the mill. And you, anyway.
1: So, and so the, the thing we're kind of dancing around isn't really a spoiler, because it's um, not even the prologue. It's the intro letter to the book. Yes. Basically, um, a woman was jilted the day of her wedding by her fiancé because the long-lost love of her fiancé's was up suddenly widowed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we both were wondering what characters were in the first book, and, and this couple was in contention, but it turns out it's it's a different couple entirely. So we're not really even spoiling the first book by outlining this because it's mm-hmm. not even the couple from the first book. Um, so the gentleman who jilted this woman is in a carriage with his best friend, a duke, and his new bride to go ask the new bride's family for money, basically. That she <laughs> I was, mean, yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> money. It's, it's obviously more complicated than that. But um, they get trope alert number one, snowed off the road.
0: Snowed and off the road, I like s- that.
1: Have to stop at the nearest estate, which happens to belong to friends of the woman he jilted. That's right. And that is the prologue. So if you're mad at me for spoiling that, sorry to ruin three pages for you.
0: Awkward. Although, also, what I kind of loved about this book is that Fitz is like totally feeling super awkward in the carriage because he's there with these like newlyweds who are just totally PDAing all over the place. And he's like, guys, can you please stop?
1: So now that we've described the setup, we should give you our own summaries.
0: As always,
1: we generated a random number, and this week it was 23.
0: So I'll go ahead and start. My 23-word summary is, it's tough when your town's industry is threatened, and worse, when your hot makeup buddy acts like he can fix it for
1: you. Ugh, I hate that. I totally hate that, don't you? Yes. So mine... The process to overcome grief and embrace new responsibilities. One must play childish pranks, indulge in societally inappropriate affairs, and crush the patriarchy.
0: I mean, I know I know when I am grieving, you know, and like very deep in the depths of grief, that just imagining the patriarchy getting crushed will help me out of the doldrums.
1: And you guys are probably think it's kind of a joke but like dead serious one of the things that finally gets her out of her reverie is making a list of ways to crush the patriarchy it was awesome (laughs) yeah like I kind of liked that part like a lot this book to get a little ahead of ourselves didn't offend me in the slightest Mm -hmm. and I really liked the emphasis not only on a woman finding her place in a world and finding a way to seize power from a society that didn't want to give it to her But also, she's the mother, she's a widow, so she's the mother of a young earl and and little girl, and she thinks a lot about the example she's setting for her daughter and the lessons she's teaching to her daughter, and there's a lot of references to not just knightly tales, but tales of girls in danger, and one of the things that sort of reshapes itself in Margot's thinking throughout this book is giving her daughter stories where women are the hero. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the most appealing things about Fitz is how supportive he is of Margot taking that ownership. Uh, yeah.
0: Like, totally. I agree with you a lot.
1: I mean, if you want to pander to us, desk sex and crushing the patriarchy.
0: <laughs> we'll get you there, yes. <laughs> Every we're,
1: time. We're simple creatures.
0: <laughs> um, So, Tros, we already talked about the snowstorm. Um, which is I love unfortunately, we don't go as far as the we got caught in the snowstorm, and now we have to take refuge in together and take off all our clothes
1: right, like sadly, the snowstorm only has fits in it. Margot is safely ensconced in her home, and that's yeah. where that finds her, so like the two of them aren't stranded, just yeah. he's stranded, and that's their meat cute, so there's not the same like desperation to warm each other,
0: yes, um. Okay, there is some, there's a a carriage ride, so some forced proximity. Unfortunately, however, there are kids in
1: the carriage. There's also an inn with too few rooms, but their married friends willingly split up for the night, so they don't have to offend anyone. It's like, mm, or. Like, I'm
0: sorry, I want the inn where he's like, this is my... Where you have to pretend that you're married so that you can get the last room at the inn, obviously.
1: Well, and they have meddling matchmaking friends, trope, that are desperate to shove the two of them together for various reasons, including a trope relationship bet. And so I just don't understand why said meddling friends weren't like, oh, we're sleeping together. You guys can have the other room. How you justify it is up to you.
0: Yeah, like,
1: like too bad.
0: We've been apart for years and years and years. And I just jilted my fiance for you. So I'm not spending the night apart. They have a good excuse, is all I'm saying. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Lane. You were you were also making a point.
1: No, th- that was the exact same point.
0: Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's amazing. I was literally about to be like, I mean, and maybe they might have been bad friends, but they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot in their love story. Which we were only privy to a small part of, but... Still. I'm... I just really feel like they had sex after, in, like, no really socially contrived ways. Yeah. They had, like, their own rooms, and they visited each other in them. Yeah. And she's a widow, so she doesn't have to worry about, like, her reputation or propriety, really. And I just... um, because of that, it took them a while to have sex because they were like getting to know each other and there were no forced proximity issues. Oh my issues.
0: god, yeah, they got to know each other and her kids were there.
1: Yeah, they like had a cute bonding moment with her children. Okay, props. I'm just gonna jump around a little, but serious props to Catherine Grant. These kids were not annoying. <laughs> Lane has, um, can find like the cutest kids annoying. Honestly, in books, yeah, I can. These children were effectively plot devices and not real characters, and I think that's exactly what a two- and a four-year-old should be. <laughs> that's what i
0: <I'm... laughs> ah, Lane is only talking about books, though. I mean, if you guys have kids out there, she's very I nice
1: personal. a wonderful aunt to several children who love me very much, but in books, especially books where I just want to read two hot people get-together... I'm not looking for well-developed children in preschool.
0: Totally. Um, I think we got all the trips. Oh, except for she,
1: there's like, there aren't daddy issues. Right. But you've got a father who's like stuck in the old ways, which is hard when he's got such an enterprising daughter.
0: Yeah. When that, that actually, well, it, 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 relates to my um, summary as well because the the reason that Fitz goes with her to her estate is basically because he, her father is really worried about her safety and doesn't want her to go and Fitz is like, oh well I'll go to make sure everything is okay and she gets like kind of pissed off, which I would too if, Yeah um, This guy that I've been totally making out with and I think is like super hot and attractive is like, oh I'll go to make sure the little lady is safe
1: and you understand why he says it, and you understand why she's offended by it. So, like, basically, the author does a good job of presenting to the reader that he's not looking to control her. He's just looking to avoid the conflict.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's happy to appease her and not actually do what he said he's going to do. Yes. But she obviously doesn't know that. She doesn't know so that, but, she's... but also,
0: so he is, his character flaw is that he's conflict avoidant. Basically, Mm -hmm. like he's he's the diplomatic duke. He's out. He wants to compromise. He wants to make sure everything is like okay and everything runs smoothly, which can be a good character trait, obviously, but it can also be a little bit like, okay, so you're not really gonna fight for what you believe in. You're not really gonna support me when this is what I want.
1: Um, There was a little bit of like Aaron Burr and Hamilton. Not Uh, in the, like, murdery jewel way, uh, but in the specifically song Wait For It way. Okay. You know, where, like, he's basically giving a treatise on I'm not running behind or running late. I'm not standing still. I'm lying in wait. Like, I'm waiting for my opportunity. I'm seeing how everything is going. Like, he has a vision and he has dreams. But he even gives a talk where he's like, look, I have a couple pet causes every year some I get through, some I don't, and some I have to put on the back burner and like he's clearly willing to play the cards he's dealt. Yeah. And I think sometimes that results in conflict avoidance, but sometimes it results in him being a whiny child in a way that I didn't necessarily was all think was always very well established in his character. Mm-hmm. He flips out at her at times in a way that I don't think felt very organic.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Anyway, anyway, I've watched Hamilton lately. Can you tell? <laughs> I can tell. I can tell, Lane. <laughs> uh,
0: um. So first off, I, I really just wanted to call out that I thought the editing was really good, especially for a self-published novel.
1: I wouldn't have had no way of knowing this was self-published based on the quality of the text.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I thought that was really good. Uh, I will say so for me. There were a couple of times where some of the language used was a little bit anachronistic. I know for some people they just don't care about this, Um, and it's very weird because sometimes I will and sometimes I won't, and I don't know. So I don't want to be a jerk about it, but at the same time, like one time she she said something and it internally it it threw fits into a tailspin, and I was just like, wait, I don't know. It it took me out of it for a second because I was like. Tailspins.
1: There are no planes.
0: Right. I was like, do birds have tailspins? I don't know. I was like,
1: <laughs> it doesn't feel like it, it would be common parlance. I will totally say I would not have caught that if Meg hadn't mentioned it. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think if you're reading in the right headspace, you're gonna notice it and you're gonna note it, but it didn't really take away from the book for me.
0: Yeah. Well, and I've read I read this series, um, the um oh gosh, I can't even remember the name of the series, but it's by this author named Mary Robinette Kowal, and it's basically like pride of, it's like Jane Austen with magic, which if you know me, you know, it's like of course I would read that. Um but she wrote it and she wanted to have no anachronistic language at all, and so she put her, a in her
1: book about magic.
0: Yes. Okay. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she put a, um, a program, like a spell check program, on her word processor that would underline any word that was not used in one of Jane Austen's books. And so she would write it and then there would be all these, you know, book these words that looked like they were typos. And then she would go back and she would have to figure out what was the origin of each of these words, like when was it first used could i use it could i not cuz you know jane austen didn't write dictionary right um but anyway i'm not saying that people have to go that far
1: no but like clearly a word associated with modern aviation is going to seem a little out of place in a book that takes place in 1800s
0: and, yes the 1800s <laughs> the the um the early 1800s i think it's like 1814
1: that sounds right from the fashion that was described.
0: Oh my gosh, See, it was like really clear actually because they the one of his pet causes is the Apothecary Act.
1: Yes, I thought that was. Of another compliment, to, another compliment to Catherine Grant. I feel like this did a good job touching on the political issues of the time without getting bogged down in a history lesson.
0: Yes. So um, so the the year was either eighteen fourteen or eighteen fifteen because that's when the Apothecary Act was. Um, ratified, published. Oh, I don't I mean, know how does it talking work. Talking
1: about um, King George still being it was the Regency because they mm-hmm. would talk about King him being more of a King George than a Prinny if you know what I mean. Mhm. Mhm. Anyway. <laughs> okay. It's so okay. anyway, we just did a bad job staying out of the roots of the history. Catherine is a good guys. job. <laughs> uh, so so
0: basically, uh, this is uh, this is. A pretty simple story that I ended up really liking um so there's not like major major angst there's not like a, a crazy over-the-top romance novel story which sometimes I'm in the mood for you know let's be honest uh, I sometimes like love it when something super crazy happens I mean I don't know if you heard any of our reviews of Stephanie Lawrence books
1: it, The thing, the only kind of criticism I can give is the conflict is a little thin in that, yeah. like, they are both, both ultimately unattached and beyond it being a little scandalous for a dowager, countess, and a who's been widowed less than a year to hook up with a duke of the realm who needs an heir. There's really nothing keeping them from being together, but where, wherever that could have annoyed me, the conflict was resolved so quickly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, they do have a little bit of a sex and a fight, and then he apologizes the next day. So it's not like these things linger. So I think I get really annoyed when the conflict is thin and it's made into something bigger than it is. Yes. These are ultimately small fights that are resolved as if they are small fights.
0: Yes. So the conflict keeping them apart, I would say, is... It's not like a super huge conflict. What I think this book is really about is about Margot taking control of her own life, really. Yes. And then her relationship with Fitz is... Part of how she does that.
1: So she was a good country re- wife to a peer of the realm mm-hmm. who took her for granted and didn't really love or appreciate her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, even though she is very capable, she was never made to feel that. Yes. And. and I- she never articulates it as, like, she doesn't want to fall and be in that situation again with Fitz. And she doesn't really feel like she's in danger of it. But you also get the sense that, like, she, she's still figuring herself out. And she wants to do that before she shacks up with him.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so I will say where this book fell a little flat for me was uh, actually in the beginning where you get their attraction to each other. So we're told several times that they're attracted to each other. I wanted to feel it. Uh, I wanted to feel it a little more, basically. I wanted, like, more sexual tension.
1: The first scene when they're bantering back and forth and she's still trying to get even for – they're at dinner and she's trying to make the guy who jilted her friend feel bad and she's, Mm -hmm. like, spinning stories with him. I thought that did a good job of building up their initial fascination with each other. But I do agree that the transition between, oh, she's interesting to, oh, we want to jump each other felt a little abrupt yeah you know we talked before we always want to know what people's hands are doing especially in proximity to one another <laughs> It didn't feel like there was enough of like physically can't help but touch each other
0: yeah 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 i i would have i wouldn't have minded a little more and also her i will say that her development was a little bit fast so like at the beginning of this book, she is like so depressed that she doesn't want to get out of bed, basically, you know, yep. and apparently just this bantering with Fitz kind of gets her out of the doldrums and then like ready to change her life, which, which is fine, except that we have heard that she's been in this in this state for months.
1: Right, you're kind of getting her last day in her depressive state. Yes. And then her sister basically says, hey, we got to get revenge on behalf of our friend. I need you to flirt with this duke. My husband's here and I'm pregnant. I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's basically it. Let's stick a pinecone brooch under his pillow. So,
0: like, very um, Sound of Music-y.
1: Yeah, it's it goes from she's very depressed to she's playing childish games with her sister to she is Lord of lady of the manor, but it's a quick book. It's a quick read. And I honestly, for all that, some of the transitions felt a little jumpy. I much preferred that to dragging it out needlessly. Oh,
0: totally. Totally. I just, I don't know. I, I just, I will never complain if you give me more sexual tension, basically
1: a hundred and fifty percent like they spent too much time traveling together to never feel each other up
0: yeah they needed their own carriage that they felt each other up in a lot
1: the closest they came was in an open wagon with someone else on the bench with them and it was only to keep her from plummeting to her death basically
0: just yeah so all right uh i will say i really
1: really liked the ending of this book me too. The whole build up, as well, like everything from when they get to her estate onward, basically.
0: Oh, I I totally agree. Everything from her estate onward, I thought was was really good, really well yes. written, really interesting. The pacing was really good. Um, the resolution of the conflict was great. Like I I really really liked it once they got there. And I guess maybe that's the thing too. Is like the beginning was fine. And the ending was like really good. I will say it reminded me of the ending of A Week to Be Wicked a little bit. Mhm. Whereas I found the ending of A Week to Be Wicked a little bit contrived. Uh, I and liked I didn't it. Love it. I I know you I know you liked it. You liked it <laughs> way more than I did. Um, I do. We we argue about Tessa Dare endings a lot. <laughs> we do.
1: We, um, we don't like the same ones, which yeah. given how much we both love her anyway.
0: Anyway. Um, but it reminds me of that ending, but I liked this one like so much more. I found it more believable.
1: I definitely felt like it was believable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I liked the epilogue a lot and I, I felt like it wasn't, a, the epilogues I don't like feel like they're a generic ending to any romance book where like flash forward several years there are two kids and she's pregnant with another and they've named them after significant characters in the series. Yeah. Right? This was not that epilogue. This epilogue no. was necessary to properly end the book and nothing about it was cookie cutter.
0: It was so good. I loved it. I loved it. Um also Luddites are very interesting. Yeah. I mean basically I like the ending of this book a lot.
1: Yeah, the Lennites are a big part of the ending, so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, I really felt like the bond between her and her sister felt real, and their dialogue and actions moved at a really snappy place. I didn't always like her and her sister were their dynamic. I think for anyone who grew up with siblings, you know that the way your ch- siblings bring out your youthful side is sometimes really refreshing, and other times makes you feel really juvenile. <laughs> right, And I think both were really at play here, but basically what I'm saying is it made me uncomfortable because, yeah, I related. (laughs) Yeah, I related. (laughs) Yeah. I have a sister who's two years younger, and she and I have definitely behaved in undignified ways when we get back together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, this before we started recording, Lane and I actually had a long conversation about like our siblings and our sibling bonds.
1: (laughs) And I think the way everybody sort of when you're reunited with people who knew you as a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes.
1: Especially siblings. You all sort of revert. Yes. Sometimes. Some kind of reversion there. (laughs) Not all the time, but sometimes.
0: I mean, most of the time, let's be honest, right? (laughs)
1: So you fall into old patterns. That's all. Yeah. And she yeah. and her sister, yeah. you can tell, were definitely. They were also clearly mischief makers as kids, who were in new footing as peers. Yeah. And I think that's. I, I actually, I, I think the first book is about her sister and her sister's marriage. And I would have been really interested uh, to read that book now because I'm interested to see the way their relationship is depicted in that one.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. All right. So we already said this, but we'll say it again because it bears repeating. There was nothing offensive about this book. In fact, I would say it was it was one of those romance novels that I really like, those historical romances that uses the history to speak to today's issues.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the only reason you could potentially be offended, and this wasn't a flaw in the book at all, but clearly there's a lot of discussion and a lot of depiction of Men minimizing women's capabilities and dismissing them. Yes. But like, it it wasn't done for shock value. It was an authentic issue of the time being presented. And it's an authentic issue of today that it was interesting to see parallels to.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I liked, I, I would say I thought it was well done and well handled.
1: Yes. How sexy was this book?
0: So I would say this book is not super, super sexy. Uh, I will give Catherine Grant props that the desk sex was 100% the best part of the sexiness.
1: I mean, I don't know. What did you think, Lane? The sex scenes were short and not very explicit. And it was interesting because usually I feel like when in a romance novel, you sort of get the fade to black and then they had sex. Mm -hmm. There are no details. Yeah. And this was interesting because there'd be like one paragraph of details, but it was one paragraph. Yeah. So it was like, it would literally be like, he put his hand up her her skirts, and then he lowered himself down and tasted her. And when he entered her, he was desperate. Then they, like, came to on the desk. And it's like, each of those sentences could have been a page, and I would have been okay with that. And,
0: I mean, basically, we would have been fine with that. So, you know.
1: (laughs) Even some of their, there's a lot of making out prior to them hooking up, because, you know, they're in a house with their kids. and. eh. Uh, even
0: the making out could have been more
1: elaborate. There was a lot of conversation where you kind of got the sense they were both being talked to in a new way, that no mm-hmm. one had ever like truly seen them in this light before. And then it would be like, I want to kiss you now. And then they'd kiss. And it's like, but where were their hands?
0: <laughs> but where were they? Like, we need to know <laughs> what your hands were doing. Even if the hands are just cupping the other person's cheek. I want to know.
1: It's very important. I feel like that's the mark of like when Meg and I have to fan ourselves is yeah. how aware we are of both characters' hands at all times.
0: <laughs> uh. This is a good theory, Lane. I'm gonna have to. I'll have to notice it like next time I'm reading a book, which will not be the first I called it
1: out of the. I'm not sure. If it's the I, first time I called it out on the podcast. I think I've done it before.
0: I think you have, but this is maybe the first time that I'm like thinking about it.
1: Yeah. So overall, like, they are sexy characters. Mm -hmm. Their respect for each other's intellect is sexy. Mm. There's a lot of, they definitely have sex in the text. I would say this is not a sexy book.
0: Do you say it's like Sherry Thomas level sexy?
1: No, because sherry Thomas is different. Sherry Thomas is all build up and then total fade to black
0: all build up and and yeah, not so much sex, yeah,
1: like, there is mention of penetration, there is mention of oral, but it's literally just mention in passing mm-hmm. i can't think- I honestly can't think of another author that writes sex this way, yeah, it's not a bad thing like i it didn't offend me, it wasn't poorly done. it was just not a lot of build up very matter of fact in its descriptions.
0: I can't say enough how much I really liked. I would say probably the last, the last five chapters. I thought were like really stellar.
1: Yeah, it really was a perfect ending for Margot as a character and for their relationship.
0: And Fitz also, as a match for her.
1: Yeah, Fitz is definitely the B player in this whole thing.
0: Yeah, which is it's very interesting because I feel like as we, I've read a lot of romance in my life, but I have never talked about it as much as I have in the past year. <laughs> and, like, the more I analyze what I like about it... Like, I, I would have said before, oh, I like a strong woman character. And I do. But I have also realized that I also really like a nice, strong male character. Basically, I want a nice hero or heroine. And as long as they have a good match, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, I don't need two amazing people I need one amazing person and one person who's their perfect match
1: you can't get Rupert and Daphne all the time
0: no I mean you just can't like even like we're talking about Kate and Thorne Mm -hmm. and you know I mean who's the player in that one uh Thorne obviously I'm sorry is it the man who irons his clothes that would that would be the one yes
1: is it Yeah. So anyway, I I totally agree with Meg. This was a fun read. It was also a really quick read. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're looking for a new romance author, I highly recommend checking out Catherine Grant.
0: Yeah.
1: As always, thank you so much for listening.
0: Bye.